Welcome to the Chef of X podcast. You look like you're official now because you're holding it like that. This is way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's how you're going to do it? Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I, this is how I used to always do it. So I'm, I'm actually going back into phase one, uh-huh. which is um, the mobile one. podcast. So this is the quasi-studio podcast. Okay, quasi-studio. Where you come to the you know, the studio, so to speak. You come okay. to a central place uh-huh. and we record here and I try to optimize the place for everything that I want. So I want to have lighting, so I'll sit you over there. Mm -hmm. I want to have sound, so I'll do certain things to make the sound decent. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's definitely phase two. Phase one is just going around with mics in my backpack and just pulling them out whenever somebody is down to do a podcast, like sometimes without planning. And and it's a very spontaneous way of doing it, but uh, you want to do a podcast? Yeah, it, I mean, I, the most notable one is this one I did at Starbucks with a homeless lady who was talking to me about a conspiracy theory, hmm. and I was like, I have a microphone with me. Do you mind if I, you know, just record you for the thing? And she was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, huh. no, no, I don't mind. And then I I, rec- I hit record, and then she got really quiet. And then after a while, she got comfortable and we just went into it. But it was it was definitely like a pure phase one podcast. Mm. And uh, now, you know, I'm getting ready to dip out of the studio. So I don't know if I'm going to want to make another one. But mm. what I'm the most excited about is uh, doing stuff outside. Mm. Yeah, during the summer. I mean, maybe it'll be too hot, but like it's really good lighting. Mm-hmm. It could be peaceful. We got a lot of beautiful places around campus, mm-hmm. et cetera, so. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, holding the mics is a part of the mobile podcast because I don't carry around stands. Mm-hmm. It's too much. You want to have the minimum amount of shit. So mm-hmm. if you just have mics and something to record it into, you're good. Hmm. You could be by a freeway, you know? It's not the best sound, but. But at least you can set up the station. I get it. Yeah. It's the bare minimum, mm-hmm. basically. And um, uh, these are the type that are. Really, they're, they're used for stage performances. So what's special about them is, one, the handling noise is, is a lot lower. So if you bump it or rub your fingers, it's not that big of a deal. Mm. But um, the way that they pick up sound is directly from in the front, and it rejects sound from behind. So mm. if you're on a stage, there's a huge crowd making noise, right? Mm. And you don't want the crowd to be recorded. Mm. So um, it's really good for outdoor conditions or conditions where you're not really in control of... Uh, it's not a studio. Mm-hmm. You're not in control of all the external sounds because you can still hear your voice despite whatever else is going on. If you point mm-hmm. it the right direction, and you have good technique. So, mm. yeah. That's interesting. I've been doing um, my own podcast, like, in a As way. you should. In, in a way. it's I don't even call them podcasts. It's just been me talking and recording myself. And typically, it's when I'm like, high but yeah i kind of like really high where um where i actually start to feel different like i feel my body the way the world is different to me because um even in my experiences with weed now i'm getting more i'm much more experimental i'm i'm more um i'm looking into different strains and now i'm yeah i've tried maybe like Three or four different strains now. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, okay. I had this stuff called like Orange Bud, I think. Orange something. Yeah. Orange Bud, that shit is strong. And I had that. <laughs> and um, that that high was like really trippy. That high was really like, 
uh, it's, it was a sativa, but I was so high off of that that I almost felt like it was a body high too because uh. my whole it was just different from my whole system, and that took a long time to that for that to wear off. Um, but I, I've also been trying different indicas and just different sativas, and um, with indica, I even noticed differently how like for example, if I record myself talking and I'm like just smoked indica. It's very hard for me to keep following my thoughts and I'll, I'll begin talking and then I'll like drift off and I'll just like sit there and mumble and stutter and I'll just be, but I know what I'm doing. I'm thinking, right? but I don't know. I think it's just the feeling, the feeling of the high. Uh, it's easier to lose myself when I'm on Indica versus if I had just smoked sativa. Um, it's still sometimes hard for me to, it's hard for me to communicate when I smoke sativa for some reason. It's hard for me to like speak with words. I stutter a lot and I swallow my words, but my thoughts, I can, I can get them out. It's yeah. just, it's hard for me to like speak, you know, <laughs> and I'm just learning all these things. Um, and I've been, um, I've been making music. Okay. But not like in the traditional sense. I've been just recording myself. Making a sound, yeah, and making like a beat, yeah, and it's in my head, and I'm like, all right, okay, I'm gonna record it, I'm gonna listen to it, and I'm gonna try to rap to it, mm-hmm. and I'll record the sound, and I keep playing it over, and I try to rap to it. It's hard as fuck because I can't. The way that I like music, I like music that goes like, uh, so there's a bass like doom, 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 but then I like some shit to go like boom, boom, boom. You know, I want it to go on top of each other, but I can't do that. (laughs) So in the recording, it's just me going like, boom, boom, and I'm trying to do all the damn sounds like I won't know. You got to do them as separate recordings. Uh, True. Yeah. But it's going to be hard to play them all back. And listen to them all at once. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's software for it. There is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. There is. Okay. That... Uh, has been an interesting experience because I'm getting I'm getting better at um, like writing consistently, mm-hmm. and it's actually quite addicting. Like I'm writing um, like spoken words. I, I, I write them more consistently now. I perform them more consistently, and it's, it's interesting because I'm getting pretty good at it. Like I'm yeah. getting pretty good at uh, number one studying music, and then number two. Um, making my own, like, at this point, lyrics and even my own music, technically. Yeah. And I'm getting good at it because my eye for it has changed. And I almost think of it uh, the same sense that when you when you started to tell me about your podcast experience, how you discovered it, yeah. you were like, you know, first I started off and I was like, how, how do I do this? And I had this one mic, then I had this. But then you kept changing it as you got more interested in it. You said, okay, I could try more things. That's kind of what I've been doing with um, my spoken word. So I've been studying, like, specifically um, these three artists, four artists, I guess, that are now in my head, are um, Nas, J. Cole, um, Saba, and SZA. Those mm. four artists, I've been studying you know, their music because, as in uh, J. Cole and Nas, their flow. And they have a very, like, unique flow. Whereas J. Cole, his particular style, not just the way he raps, but J. Cole does this thing that I really like. Like when he's rapping, he splits his voice into two. And what? It's, you can hear it. Like in KOD <laughs> and even in his old songs, he does it a lot. Like you mean he's, with voice changers? Yeah. Like oh, he, he's yeah, rapping yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like, 
why can't I feel my pain? But then he goes, why can't I feel my pain? And then there's this other voice on top of it. It sounds like an echo. And it's like, why can't I feel my pain? You know, oh, and he says yeah, it at the same yeah. time. I love, I well, like that, that. That's kind of a producing thing. Right? Yeah. 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 But I like that style. Okay. Um, I like that sound. And also, um, J. Cole has a particular style that of rhyming that he does where particularly in brackets in this particular song and even in, um, for your eyes only, he does it. He just raps continuously with no, with no hook, you know, he'll just go. And I like that. Yeah. Uh, Saba, um, is a rapper from Chicago and I like his, um, care for me album and his other album too, bucket list, I believe it's called. Uh, but this particular album care for me, uh, I like how he's able to put his emotions in it specific in a specific way mm-hmm. where he doesn't necessarily tell you, um, so it, without, throughout the whole album, he's talking about his cousin, how like how he lost his cousin, but a whole bunch of other things too. But he gives different like details about the murder of his cousin throughout the whole album. So you have to listen to it all and listen to like particular lines and be like, okay, well, Walter died. How did Walter die? Where did Walter die? Um, uh, how did he feel about Walter's death? What are the, the events leading up to it? He tells that whole story throughout the album, and I'm like, that's magnificent it's like a piece of art <laughs> it's like if you're not a connoisseur or like if you really don't uh listen to music as in for a particular thing other than just for the enjoyment as in like to see the art then you won't get it you, it'll right. go right over your head um SZA uh I like the way SZA sings I like that uh she has like a whiny singing voice like she it's like she's whining and mm-hmm. it's almost like I feel the emotion in your words and it's crazy I like that sound. Uh, and I don't know what I'm going to be doing all those sounds, but I want to engineer my own sound, combining different elements from other sounds. So it's not really my sound, but it's a manipulation of all the other sounds. Well, it is your sound if it's a unique manipulation. Because yes, th- yeah, there is no original sound. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Hmm. So you're getting more interested in making music. Yes. On some level, it's inspired by your um, exploration of the strains, mm-hmm. which you know I was an early supporter of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and you're recording yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. It. I think anything that um, that's therapeutic for you mm-hmm. is uh, something worth spending your spare time doing. Because if you think about it, what 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 do people spend their spare time doing? You know, I, there's kind sure. of like. These these things you're supposed to do. Like one of my favorite examples is uh, going to a sports game. Mm. <laughs> you're supposed to do it. It's very normal. Um, and it's a great experience depending on what you're getting out of it. But uh, I started to think about sports and what they are and why they're meaningful to me. And a big part of what a sport is for me is an analogy for something in my life. Mm. So, if I, you know, I see a dunk. That's exciting. Why is that exciting? Well, it's exciting because it's a display of mastery of some physical thing that's difficult for me to master. Mm. And also, it's a display of you overcoming some resistive force. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, to me, that's what it is. So for me, once I boil it down to whatever I'm getting out of it, I realize like I can get that out of a lot of different shit. It doesn't have to be a sports thing for me to... In fact, there are things that are much more potent for me to remind me of those those themes in life that I think a lot of people are getting out of watching sports that maybe they're less aware of. Mm. Um, but when you're doing like, sp- like direct artistic activities, 
I think, and you're the one expressing. Mm. I think it's very hard to substitute that out for something else other than another art form. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, you can you can make music and you can switch that out for dancing and it can be better. Mm-hmm. But it's still an art form. That's why it's better because on some level, um, you're mastering something, you're getting better at a craft, you're getting, and, and as the better you get at the craft, the better it is for you, the easier it is for you to express yourself. Mm-hmm. And like, I know for me personally, there are a lot of situations where if you're not expressing yourself, there's actually nothing in the outside world that will match what you're experiencing. Like the more unique your situation is, the less likely somebody else has already displayed it. Now, by default, I would rather just let somebody who's better than than me, you know, create whatever and I just get to enjoy it passively. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a unique situation, it's like you can't do that anymore. There's nobody who you're going to look to. So one example I give is like I'm uh, I'm formerly incarcerated. I love math. Um, those two things alone, right? Mm-hmm. Who out there can I look toward <laughs> to say like, that oh, yeah, that guy's like, yeah, that mm-hmm. guy's like me. There's nobody like that. So I spend hours making music, doing all this other stuff, talking about it because mm-hmm. it's like, well, this is real. And it's like there's no – I can't – There's it's very unlikely I'm going to find somebody else – who can do that groundwork for me, but it's almost like the display, like the accurate representation is the therapy mm-hmm. where it's like, here's something that's just true. Mm. Um, and I've heard that this is true in comedy too. Like uh, I think it was from um, Silicon Valley. There's some TV show called Silicon Valley where they make fun of, you know, uh, geeks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they say is funny is like, when people who actually work in these roles that we're portraying meet us, they're not upset at us. They're actually happy that we're accurately representing a lot of the shortcomings of their character or of their personalities or whatever. Because if you care enough to get the details right, then in some sense, it's like showing respect. Or this is how some people feel. This is a universal. But um, to me, that's one of those things that's like, it's not as obvious, but there's a connection between truth and therapy mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, um, it, it's obvious the the emotional side, like, hey, uh, someone – like the truth of how someone feels, mm-hmm. hearing that can be very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. But for me, especially as like a math geek, there's a truth behind ju- – I mean, just truth period is therapeutic mm-hmm. because just truth period is – a representation that I'm not seeing when I'm looking around in the normal world. So if it's like, there's something that's, I always say, if it's like, if it's obvious and true, then that's easy. Or, and if it's hard to believe and untrue, then most people won't believe it. But if it's hard to believe and true, like if it's a non-intuitive truth, it's actually really hard to find representations of those things. Mm. And, um, you know, just look at Galileo. <laughs> Right. Everybody thought that uh, everything went around the earth. And, you know, it seems kind of obvious. You look at the stars, the seasons change, the stars shift in the sky. Okay, they're going around the earth. Mm. But when you really look at the details of the mathematics, you're like, that's not the best explanation. The best explanation is that we're also moving around some object and that object's moving around another object. And everything's moving around something else. But certainly we're not at the center. Mm -hmm. And that's not obvious, but it's true. (laughs) It's not obvious from our vantage point, mm-hmm. right? So there's something therapeutic about something like that, too. It's like, hey, wait a minute. There are some things that are true that are actually really hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. 
And to find out something that's true, that's difficult, is, uh, for whatever reason, like an emotional relief for me. It's like the philosopher's, uh, you know, cocaine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> you know, we have found it. Uh, my precious. So anyhow, uh, you were a big fan of Kid Cudi along the way. Yeah. I know you mentioned the humming and the singing. Ever since you yeah. said that, I've been more into it. Uh-huh. And I, I want to do something like that as the next project. And um, I, it's, it's funny because with Kid Cudi, I always, whenever I say like people I'm influenced by, I, I forget to mention him. Not because I devalue him. Devalue him. It's, other, it's obvious one. It's a yeah, throwaway. Yeah. It's like, bro, that's just a part of me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like that, that type of music... um. I really start to discover like my weird side with that type of music. Yeah. Because to be honest, when I think about music, um, music helps me realize that I really don't really know. I really don't know who I am Mm. and I don't know who I am in certain places to such an extent that like I hurt people, not on purpose, not even out of my intentions, but because I really don't understand parts of myself that maybe they think they understand. Like, um, I thought about yesterday how it was that throughout my entire life, when I made a friendship, like when I had friends, but it was with one person. I had, yeah. I was, when I grew up, it was like every year or throughout certain periods of my life, my friend was like this one individual. That was my friend. And then everyone else around us, they were friends, but they weren't friends like that one person. So it was, easy for me as a kid to just find one person is like, okay, we're linked, you know, but everyone else, you guys are just by association. We know you. Yeah. So now though, um, I know more people and, um, and I, I also think about introversion and extroversion, um, and how I think that they're not two stagnant things, but how I think the real thing is comfortability. Like, what is that? Wait a minute. So, what is comfortability? So, um, this is one of my podcasts that I did. I was having a conversation with myself about this. So introversion it's like, okay, let's say introversion, as in even breaking down the word. Intro and version. So version as in version of self. Intro as in like, this version of self is inside. As in like, I enjoy being the self that's in my head. Mm. I enjoy that. I enjoy being by myself. And that, that's true. Extroversion uh, is like, this is the version of myself as in version and then extra as in like outside, extraneous, like it's, it's outside of me. I enjoy the outside world. Uh, I don't really like being in my head. I want to be outside. So, but those two things, you're not like born. I don't think, I used to think this, but I don't think you're born like as an introvert, like hard or as an extrovert, as in like you can't be one or the other. I think it's just depending on where you're comfortable. When I want to, when I'm more introverted, it's because I'm more, I'm less comfortable around certain people. That could be because there's too many extroverts in the room. That there's too many people in the room who are being extroverted, uh, and or because there's people around me that um, I'm uncomfortable with, as in they have a problem with me, or we're not really friends like that. So I'll be more, uh, I'll be more, I'll be acting more introverted. But like right now. Uh, I'm being extroverted with you. When I came in here, I didn't feel uncomfortable because I, I know you. And so as I came in, I was like, cool, I'm going to sit down. I'm having a conversation. I never felt like, oh, man, this is small talk. I felt weird. I didn't feel that, you know, yeah. because um, I'm comfortable around you because I've been around you. So uh, I'm being more extroverted. So I thought about that and how that's a thing. Um, and so because the majority of people I know today don't 
never met me until college. They didn't know that part of me who was introverted for long periods of time. Yeah. As in, I was consistently uncomfortable with myself um, for many reasons. So now that I'm more comfortable with myself and they're meeting me, they might it might come off as like, oh, you're extroverted or you have no yeah. problem socializing. Yeah. But I'm like, nah, that shit actually takes a <laughs> large toll on me. And um, it affects me, you know, after a long period, like after like two weeks of consistent socializing, as in every day I yeah. left my house, bro, I'm like, I'm worn down. Like <laughs> mentally, I wasn't even eating last week. Oh, I'm not no. even, I wasn't even, I was so like stuck up on always trying to be somewhere. that I was like, bro, I haven't eaten, you know? And it starts to take a toll on me because I don't know how to do that shit. I don't know how to balance like, okay. When someone says, can I come over your house? I'm like, okay, that means that I'm not going to be able to do this, 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 and that. Because I don't like to do those things when people are around me. Right, I like to right. have like my own time. <laughs> so if someone wants to come over and that's the, my time to eat, as in like, okay, this is when I eat, watch my movie, and maybe um, listen to music. Now they're over. I'm like, now nah, I got to entertain you. you know. And if I yeah. cook, I got to cook for you. And I can't watch my thing because I like to watch this thing personally but by myself. Right. Because that's not how I operate. But I'm, I find myself like sometimes not losing friendship, but tarnishing them because with certain people in my life, they might see me as a person who, uh, people in their life that they consider friends, they might be somebody who reaches out consistently as in like every other couple of days or every week they say, Hey, let's hang out. Like that type of thing. Yeah. Or reaches out, um, and, and says, I don't know, little things like, what's up, bro? What you doing this weekend? Something like that. I'm not like that. I'm, the way I operate is like, yo, if someone wants me to do something, um, I'll be like, okay. You know, if I want to. Right. Someone call, contacts me, is like, hey, do you want to hang out? I'm like, sure. You know, right. if I want to. I don't, I'm not really good at like saying, hey, can we hang out? And if it is, it's for a particular person, for a particular reason. And it's probably because I haven't seen them in a long time. Right. And a long time is like a month and a half for me. Right. If I haven't seen you in a month and a half, I'm like, yo, we need to hang. Last time I came over here was like a month ago. So yeah, I was, was like, this is about the good yeah. right amount of time. And so you see, I'm like, I, I saw you when I saw you. I was like, okay, it's long overdue. You yeah. get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's been a month because that's just how I operate. Yeah. It, but that means that with a lot of friendships that I'm noticing, I've been trying to like be more intentional and I've really been trying to be more like, to think like, okay, am I being a bad friend or am I just doing me and they just don't get it? But I came to the conclusion that no matter what I do, people are going to, I'm still learning about myself. And in that process, I'm a, maybe not new, lose friendships, but friendships are going to be um, maybe hindered a little bit. They're, they may not grow the way that either party thought they were going to grow, but that's okay. And uh it's still hard to process, though. Though it's it's hard yeah. to process. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is expectations. What mm-hmm. what is somebody? What 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 is another person's default assumption mm-hmm. when it comes to the friendship in the first place? And if their assumption is, um, like I know between people who are labeled introverts and extroverts, sometimes the exact signals that are normal for an introvert are the signals that are that 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 are signs of distress for an extrovert, such as being quiet. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you come in with the expectation that being quiet is bad, mm-hmm. then yeah, when you see someone quiet or you see someone not socializing as much, then you could say, oh, you know, 
our friendship's going down the drain. That's true. But if you don't have that expectation, you could just ask them, hey, you know, everything good? Yes, no. You can have a a wider palette Mm -hmm. for expectations. It's like, hey, you know, some people, that's a bad sign. Mm -hmm. For other people, that's a great sign. You know, so So, like for, I would say I'm, I'm in your boat and I'm on the extreme end, although I'm coming back to a normal end now. I socialize a little bit more now. Actually, I was burnt the fuck out after Mm -hmm. last weekend, Mm -hmm. but, uh, (laughs) it was, uh, I'm, I, my normal was like six months. Mm -hmm. Actually, there are people who I haven't, I feel like it's been like two years Uh that I would consider in my core Uh because I know how they process the world and I have a high level of respect for them. Like people I knew since high school. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like, well, this person knows that this is how I am. Mm-hmm. And they know that if we did meet up, then we'd talk for three hours. Mm-hmm. And that would be enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and then we would leave and go, go about our merry way and wish each other well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think... It, it, if if you do have to lose friends because there were or just you feel like the relationship is not blossoming as much as it could have because people made too many assumptions from the fucking jump mm. or they had bad expectations from the jump, mm. then bye. You know what I mean? That relationship is lost. But you're also making space mm. so that the people who are willing to be more understanding and, uh, you know, accept you for however you are understand that you communicate in a specific way you expect to be communicated to in a specific way mm-hmm. etc mm-hmm. all those people now have you know there, there's room in your life to actually interact with those people if you have less true. people who don't have any understanding and don't want to gain an understanding true of how you operate that um last week um, i had an interesting experience with that because i've been opening my eyes to how much I don't give myself credit and how much I give the world credit for like everything. So, or or I give other people credit, but I don't give myself credit. So, um, for example, I I was in, I was in a, in a mental situation of debating something, um, debating like a responsibility that uh, was kind of like given to me, but also placed on me. Um, and it was kind of the lack of my uh, need to speak up for myself because in the moment I didn't speak up for myself when this responsibility was brought up. I didn't speak up for myself and say, well, to be honest, I enjoy doing this particular thing, but not like that to the extent where it will be my my a big responsibility for me. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? We're like... <laughs> Yeah, I understand. Like, that. I enjoy. That's, dude, I feel like that's the number one thing that every chef should avoid is responsibilities that you don't actually want. They're not actually benefiting you. Yes. Because then you can't cook. You, yes. you end up stuck like, fuck, I got to do this thing I said I was going to do. Yes. I have no time to actually do the real shit that I want to do. Yes. Yeah. And so the real thing that I want to do is what I explained to you from the beginning, discovering my sounds and all that. Yeah. And that's something I've really been putting in my time to. Um, and I'm proud of myself because it's an everyday thing, no yeah. matter what. It's like, because sometimes it's as easy as I'm going to listen to this particular song and try to break it down in a different way. You know, I'm studying, you know, mm-hmm. I'm consistently doing it. And because I love to do it, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. But for example, um, this particular thing, it kind of feels like work because I like the idea of it and I like being around it and doing this particular thing. But um, it's not something that like I get up and think about every day. And so it's a conscious thing. But where I had a problem was that like 
when this responsibility was given to me, there weren't many like uh, directions as in like how often I should be doing it. So it kind of was just like, okay, well, this is the times that are usually where people are doing it. And um, yeah, so go during those times. It was kind of like that. But it was kind of left on my end to just say, okay, today I want to go, you know, on my own initiative. But, and I used to feel, I felt guilty because I was like, well, this person obviously needs me to do this, but they're kind of just putting it on me and expecting me to just go on my own initiative. But I actually don't like it, you know, not, and it's not to say that I don't like the idea of doing this particular thing. I don't like it. Like I said, I don't like it enough to be thinking about it enough to be excited to go consistently like that. Uh, and so I just stopped, uh, caring so much about it, you know, but it's been weighing on my conscience because it starts to make me feel like, um, I'm like, damn, uh, it, before I get into that, um, it's on my conscience. Yeah. yeah, Cause I'm confusing myself. It's on my conscience. And then, so I'm going to continue from there. So it's on my, it was on my conscience this week and last week. Um, because the particular individual who actually enjoys doing this, they do it a lot and they do it consistently. And so I started to think, well, this person entrusted me with this responsibility and I'm not living up to my responsibility because I'm not doing it as consistently as they do. But then I have to think to myself, well, that's because this individual loves that. Exactly. That's actually like what caused them to this earth. That's their living. That's, they, that's their meal. Yes. They need to cook that meal. You yes. don't need to cook that meal. That's yes. them. And I started to, <laughs> I started to really become, you know, encased in my thoughts on that. But I was like, nah, this morning I finally sat down and I was like, Jason, that's not your dream. And that's not your, that's not your like drive. You know, it's not driving you. The things that are driving me, I've been doing all week, you know, and I've been doing for the past two weeks, performing, been doing that for the past two weeks. Uh, writing new poetry side or well, really spoken word and um, making new music. You know, I've been doing that for the past two weeks and for the past months. And so I think like I have to remember that, Jason, like you've been working on your craft this whole time and you're getting pretty damn good at it. Like, so I have to stop trying to like look at the world and say the world is working super hard. And I, I got to start looking at myself and say, well, you're working hard too at the thing that you're good at, like the thing that you'd like to do. But it becomes hard when I think about how I have to uphold that when it comes to other people's values and expectations. And I'm constantly, throughout my life, I've constantly felt like I failed social expectations in many ways, and it's no different now. And uh, that was weighing on me a lot because social expectations are like, Shit, we've been having them since birth. You know, it starts with our <laughs> fucking parents, you know, our yeah. family. It's like you're always expected to be a certain way or do something or act a certain way or think a certain way. I'm like, damn it, bro. Like half the time, I'm like 50 different people. And, you know, throughout campus, I know I had there's certain places in campus where I know that there was a particular Jason that operated that area. So I'm like that area, like the chemistry building on campus, I was a particular Jason. So when I go into there, I almost feel the personality that energy come back and I start behaving in that particular way. Wow. It's fucking crazy. It's yeah. like they're tied to regions. Mm-hmm. I just ended my job at Merak, that job that I really didn't like. Yeah. I just ended it. When I look at that place, I'm like, yo, that was a particular Jason. That wow. was a very like, when I go in there, I almost feel the the fakeness in my, in my voice and yeah. the, the code switching in my, in my body language and shit like that. I feel it and I yeah. feel the energy. Mm-hmm. 
It is very odd. I, I've, I've been living in so many weird corners mm-hmm. that I actually don't experience that very often. But I did once within the last two weeks, and I thought of you because I don't know what it was, but uh, I was somewhere, and there were these three white dudes that walked by and gave me some kind of a look, and then, and I thought, hmm. Oh, it was in a. This was last night. Mm-hmm. I was at a gas station, and they were drunk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was at a gas station, and I was just. I don't know what the fuck I was buying, some junk food or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a weird feeling, and I thought, oh, this must be how Jason feels most of the time. Because mm. I feel this way once every six years. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that fit, that, you felt like that energy? <laughs> well, yeah. That, I mean, like, I just felt, well, what I literally thought is, well, how do they make sense of me being here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think that for if you're in an odd environment, then it's just all rules are gone. Everybody's a fucking weirdo. So the specific type of weirdo you are doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But these were like, you know, they, they were kind of mainstream frat type dudes. Um, you know, they rolled in threes, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt like, well, if, if, I was, if I was living their lives, I feel like I'd be pretty weirded out by like, some random guy at, mm-hmm. at two in the morning, uh, you know, getting an oversized bag of chips or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I would be thinking, is this guy a student? Is it like, what's his mm-hmm. deal? Should I be threatened? Should I be excited? You know, what's his natural habitat? Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought, well, just the culture clash for the split second mm-hmm. is enough to see why there, I could see why there would be tension if you felt that, but then there was no conversation that followed from it. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe in someone else's mind, they reached some conclusion and then continued on in their day. But you felt uh, maybe they reached a conclusion that wasn't one that I would have been happy with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, that's, um, that's really the feeling that I get. Um, and on a large scale like that, when I'm like walking around campus... When I get that feeling, I know it's my. I know it's uh It's more so an anxiety that I'm creating with my mind. Yeah. That like everyone around me is making a conclusion, but in instances like that, when it's just me and a couple, you know, and some some European dudes come out of nowhere and they're around me, and they kind of almost feel like, all right, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna stand my ground and I'm gonna keep my space, but I'm gonna stay away from them. <laughs> and I'm not gonna cower. I'm not gonna yeah. cower and leave. I'm gonna still get what I'm gonna get and do what I gotta do, but I'm gonna stay away from them because motherfuckers get real confident when they with around other people like them. That's true. And you're by yourself. And if they want to pull something on me and they want to say something to me, and I would be less hesitant to respond because it's three of them. Now, if some dude just came went up and said, You fucking N-word, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna get really mad and I'm gonna yeah. say something. And that particular example, I wouldn't be afraid of saying anything because I'm being attacked and I have the knowledge to know how to respond to that. Yeah. Uh, but like three people, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I'd be pretty scared. If they said like, you fucking N-word, I'm like, nah, you know, that's a battle I'm not about to fight right now. Because one of these motherfuckers could really like do some crazy shit, you know, and I end up dead or something. I don't know. That's how I think of... um I think of instances like that, especially at a fucking gas station, I think of those people as the most dangerous people in the area. 
And it's crazy because it just depends on how you look at it. Because it just depends, yeah. I'm the most dangerous person in the area to a lot of people in that area. But to me, it's like, no, I'm actually, all of y'all are dangerous, you know? Yeah. Um, and because I like to think about like that. I like to think about how, well, how is it that, um, how is it that somebody can just shoot somebody and be like, well, damn, you know, they tried to reach for my gun, you know? How do you do that unless you look at them as like, like a bug like yeah you're just dirt you know it's like if a roach came in my house i'm gonna step on that shit not even thinking about it. oh fuck a roach you know kill yeah. it i think of, i like to think of i don't like it as in like it's, i enjoy it but i like to think about how like negative someone might think about me because um it helps me understand how it is that like somebody can hate me so much potentially and me not ever do anything to them it's it's almost interesting just to wrap my mind around that concept of me being like inferior to somebody to an extent that I'm like akin to a roach or a bug or something like that. Yeah. Well, a big thing is if 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 you're operating in like the mainstream corporate world, you're a white dude, you're in a frat, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's very um, like. Reg- there's kind of a one-way side to the opinions. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, if you have a bad opinion about somebody like that, well, I mean, nothing's really going to happen. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario is physical violence, but you'd have to be willing, you'd have to be down for that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas on the other hand, like if if someone has a, a negative perception of you and they're kind of, you know, well ingrained in society, then that can bleed into a lot of shit without that much effort. Um Whereas it's it can it can really be detrimental to you in the long run, mm-hmm. um, so there is some good reason for trying to say, well, I do kind of want to know what someone else thinks, because mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the things for me as a, like a basic rule of thumb is could I tell a joke to this person? Like I don't can, do do I relate enough to them to know what they would find funny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I don't I don't know. I don't know what would actually be funny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And can I have a conversation and that it requires a lot of openness on someone else's side mm-hmm. where they would they'd want to speak with me. Mm-hmm. So, if both of those are no, then it's like, oh, this is uh this is potentially dangerous. <laughs> if mm-hmm. I can't if I can't uh, <laughs> if there's no connection at all, if there's nothing that I could do to look, you know, uh, to signal for some common humanity right off the bat, mm-hmm. then it's not going to work out. Um, or it just might not work out. Now, here's the thing. It's like you were saying, it's a split second thing. It's in, it's in uh, our own heads mm-hmm. that this is going on. It could turn out nothing's wrong at all, mm-hmm. right? But, uh, but the feeling doesn't usually exist for me. Like, I never have that feeling on campus. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's like somewhat drunk dudes at two in the morning or something like that that I'm mm. ever like you know squinty eyed. That's crazy because um, <laughs> when I leave certain areas of campus, like I had a Spanish class every day in Olson. Every day when I left Olson, I was a little tense. Like I was like, okay, uh, I'm trying to get out of here, and I'm trying to like get from point A to point B, and. um I think of it like that. I, I think I'm like that because sometimes I pay attention to things that I bring attention to things that may not exist. Like I have in my head when I walk into a room, I'm like someone's staring at me because they don't like me because I look dangerous. So I look around the room and I try to match everyone's eyes. It's like 
I try to catch someone looking at me. But the funny <laughs> thing is, is that when I look at them, they're probably looking, why are you looking at me? You right, know, so now yeah. they're looking at me. And I've drawn my own conclusion. Right. And um, it actually took me some time to understand that about myself, that I'm drawing my own conclusions because the mind is fucking ridiculous sometimes. It's it's amazing. It's it's trying to understand my own brain is like some of the most fascinating things I've done because when I am sitting, um, I'm able to pick up on this, um, whether high or sober, but um, my experiences with anxiety sober, I lose myself so much faster because I don't create the possibility that I'm being anxious. So I've been trying to understand like uh, motivation and how it is that I can get somebody to not get them to be motivated, but get them to see a different outcome. So I created this like this scenario. I didn't really, I don't know. I just thought of it. And so um, imagine you're sitting down and the trash can is right next to you and it stinks. You're like, I need to take this trash out. So your trash can, like your big, the big trash can is five minutes from your apartment or from this area. Mm-hmm. All you need to do is take this trash can, walk five minutes to get there, throw it away and walk five minutes back. 10 minute ordeal. That's it. You can create two futures. So you can sit here on in this seat and you can go future number one. I want to be sitting here in 10 minutes saying to myself, I'm glad I took out the trash. Future number two, I could be sitting here. In 10 minutes saying, I wish I would have taken out the trash. Now, you determine which future you want. But in order to get there, you have to establish, well, what must I do? Well, in order to get future number one, I have to get up and take out the trash. In order to get future number two, I don't have to do anything. It doesn't require any action. You know, all I have to do to get to that one is just sit here. And once you decide which one you want, then you take the necessary steps to get there. And that future could be like eight years from now. And albeit like a four-year-long future being in college, you know, typically. So uh, I started to think of things as in as simple as taking out the trash. If I want to get this assignment done, well, then I'm going to have to take out the trash. You know, like I'm going to have to like put in the work to get to that future. Uh, and so um, I'm not sure what state of mind I was in when I came up with that. But now that I have the idea in my head, uh, when I think about being anxious, I think of it as like this. Okay, right now I'm anxious. Because I'm creating the thoughts in my head and I'm creating the outcomes that are making me anxious. But if I switch them and I change them and I say, well, that outcome isn't going to happen. I don't want that outcome to happen. It might still happen, but I don't want it to happen. So I'm going to change up my behavior, my attitudes so that that outcome can be different potentially. And so I've been trying to do that. It's been helping me. But sometimes the the outcome that I didn't want to happen happens anyways mm-hmm. and actually happens because I'm changing my behaviors to fit more what I want them to be. So instead of kissing everybody's ass, for example, or every time somebody says some, said I did something and I really didn't, you know, um, instead of going, oh, man, I apologize and saying sorry anyways and I have a problem, I'll go, well, that's not my problem. You should have did this, this, and that if you really wanted to do this, you know? Um and that person gets mad at me anyways. So I'm like, there was no escaping it in the yeah. end. Well, know. well, the thing is, that's an interesting one, the person getting mad at you. Mm. Because sometimes the person getting mad at you is, it, it comes with the thing that you want. Mm-mm. So it's like, okay, what you really want is, you know, the peace of mind in the long term. You want to be a clear communicator from now on. You want to develop the skill to be able to say no when it makes sense to say no. Mm-hmm. 
Well, people begin mad at you. You could say that actually I can't control. Mm-hmm. I just have to be ready for that to happen all the time. Actually, what you have to do, I would say, is prepare for people to be mad at you. Mm-hmm. So somehow go through a process rather than trying to stop it. Go through a process so that it actually doesn't interrupt your life. Mm-hmm. Um, because th- that's one of the big ones that people try to control is how other people feel. I don't think that's possible. I think you can change the probability a little bit, but I think the only thing you have direct control over are actions, mm-hmm. your actions specifically, not even other people's actions. So it's like, okay, you could try to make everyone happy, mm-hmm. but most likely you're going to f- one fail and two fail to make yourself happy mm-hmm. because you cut your own corners, basically, for instance, saying yes, when you should have said no. Right. And everybody kind of has a rough idea of how much they can handle you know, how many responsibilities they can take on, et cetera. But they're the only ones who know. So someone else, the people who are telling you to take on the responsibilities, it's probably to their advantage for you to take on the responsibility. Why? Because probably they don't have to do it if you're doing it. So they're doing what's in their best interest. You're not doing what's in your best interest. So if you do what's in your best interest, you're evening the score. You're not, they might get mad, right? Mm-hmm. But them getting mad really is just the symbol, the signal that you guys are doing an equal amount when in what, what, what they want is for you to do more than them or for you to do something that maybe they should do or someone else could do or mm-hmm. someone who's more fit could do, mm-hmm. etc. So sometimes the way it's framed is that you made them mad. Mm-hmm. But if you do the full analysis, well, they did something to you that should have made you mad. Mm-hmm by trying to exploit you in the first place, and you're just pushing back. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, I, I, and and that's, again, you have to tell yourself that story because that's not going to exist in the outside. There's no advantage to anyone else to ever say, hey, you know what, you know, what I'm doing by putting all this responsibility on you, all, even though you obviously are not excited for this, is uh, that was wrong of me. No, the, the narrative is always going to be, well, you accepted it. Mm-hmm. So now it's on you. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird flipping the story. But when you really think it through, it makes sense that, hey, if you if you have the option to say yes or no, and you choose the option that's not to your advantage, you can't be as upset at them. But also, if you choose the option that is to your advantage, you should accept that even if they're upset at you, it still might be the best choice. I like that. Um, that makes me f- uh, feel good about... That makes me feel good about the decisions I made like now and what I what it is that I want to do moving forward because um, I'm I'm getting better at learning that uh, this life that I'm living is um, it's like me in the world. That's how I'm getting used to looking at life now. Because um, whereas I used to be so dependent on other people to make my experience better. I know now that I'm going to fail people's expectations consistently. And I had a, a rough experience. It wasn't really a rough experience, but um, I just noticed something. Um, a colleague of mine, um, we're in, in class, a colleague of mine. Um, and I would notice this person like throughout this class, but I'll always like just notice them because uh, there's something interesting about them. They're very quiet. Uh, they're very quiet um, into themselves, but it was almost as if they reminded me of myself. 
And I always was just intrigued by that. And I wanted to get like closer to them to talk to them more. So um, I was able to, to to study with this individual, like to to get into a study session. But um, over time, building up like just that uh, that innocent friendship, like building up like a relationship, I started to get the idea that this person wanted a little bit more from me, as in like they may like me like on a on like on a like sexual level, and I wasn't really like looking at them like that. Yeah. And in a, in a sense, I thought about it, like, not to actually do anything, but I thought about it in a sense that, like, if I was single, like, would I want to pursue a relationship with this person? I thought about it, and I came to the conclusion that, like, no, you know, I wouldn't. Um, but when studying with this individual, I almost felt like, um, and this could be a, a false reality that I'm having. It could just be me making, like, uh something grand uh, that was supposed to be very little, you know, mm-hmm. but uh I like to be observative and I like to observe people. And so I started observing certain things. I was like, okay, that's, that was very peculiar or like uh that was very like obvious, you know, but in the moment um studying and stuff like that, I started to get like certain like, um like cues. I started to pick up on certain cues that normally um I'm able to like, okay, that was that, you know, so I can jump on that or like, um, for example, when we were ending the study session, I was like, okay, I have to go. I'm just going to go do my own thing. But in the process of ending the study session, there's like this hesitation to like leave almost like on, on my end and I almost felt it on their end. Almost like, uh, we should continue this like hangout session further, but I didn't have the intention to. And I almost felt like bad saying, okay, I just want to go home, you know? Yeah. As in, like, that's all I needed. I just wanted to study with you no yeah. more. I almost felt bad doing that. And that's not just the only case. There's other cases, too, where I got the impression that someone wanted more from me than I was willing to give. And I had to, like, say, no, I don't want to give you that much. Just in the sense that, like, I'm going to go do me now. Yeah. Um, and it, sometimes it, like, makes me feel bad. It, it hurts me because I'm like, damn, I, I hope I didn't make that person feel like I didn't like them. Yeah. Or I hope I didn't make them feel less than themselves. But then I have to remember, like, but Jason, remember, number one, you're doing what you wanted to do. Number two, you don't even really know that person's real intentions with you. And you don't really know that person's feelings on you. So these realities you could be creating have the potential to be false. And number three, um, but sometimes uh, I come to the conclusion that they were true because the individual stops talking to me or they don't like me anymore. So I'm yeah. like, you probably don't like me anymore, you know, and if I can't come to a, a, any conscious conclusion as in i did something on purpose to hurt them i'm like it's probably because they felt a certain way about me and i didn't reciprocate that and now there's this uncomfortability you know yeah uh yeah. so um it it frustrates the fuck out of me but then i think about it and i'm like damn you know there's nothing i could do and <laughs> it's, it's it's little instances like that where i'm like dude like this shit is frustrating and it's str- it can be stressful for me because i'm not used to that I'm not used to having people around me like this and I'm not used to people knowing who I am and shit like, hey, you know, I've seen you before. Like, hey, Jason, you know, hello. (laughs) Used to and like, and I always remember high school because I always remember how much I know about myself now in relation to that. And I remember the times when I would be, I'm used to this behavior, whereas I'm sitting on a bench just on my phone or like doing something and someone that I know 
walks right past me and doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So when someone I know, I see them on campus, I don't wave. I wait. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch you. And that means I'm going to just stare at you until you wave at me. Then I'm going to wave back. You know, because I'm like, okay, <laughs> that means that you saw me. Yeah. Because I'm used to people ignoring me. Gotcha. And I had to pick up on that. I had yeah. to pick up on the fact that I'm used to people ignoring me. So when I see somebody, sometimes I'm they're in clear view of me. Actually, they're walking like sideways past me. Yeah. And out of the peripheral, they might not be paying attention. They might be looking straight. Yeah. I'm looking right at them. I won't say anything. <laughs> it could be you. It could be could you. Be. Yeah. I may not say anything. Because- well, for me, I mean, I'm usually headphoned up. Mm. So I'm not paying attention to what's going on mm-hmm. unless I'm about to cross the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've had a situation similar to that, and I ended it the same way, which is that uh, there's been a couple of them, actually, mm. where I'll be talking to someone. And it like extent, there was an extreme example in the gym and I didn't expect for it to go this far. Uh I was in the gym. I was, let's say I was doing squats. Uh I move on to another, I go to my dip station Mm -hmm. and they're closed. So I'm like, fuck, well, let me just do some rows or something. I don't know. The point is I end up, I see this girl out of the corner of my eye Mm -hmm. while I'm doing squats and I, you know, I take note so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, I go back to that section and the only space open is the same rack that she's on. Uh-huh. Right. So I'm like, well, I got a couple of options. I could just do my you know, exercise and leave. Mm-hmm. Or I could take on what I call the high school challenge, huh. <laughs> which is basically anytime I feel any type of way about anyone, mm-hmm. I always talk to them with the intention of getting rejected. Mm-hmm. So basically, if I see somebody and I'm like, for whatever reason, I'm attracted to this person, all intellectual stuff aside, I can recognize in my own mind, this is a thing, mm-hmm. right? Then it's my job to get rid of that feeling as quickly as possible. So if I can get, if I can get acquainted with reality in the most brutal, negative way possible, that's like the win. That's the high school challenge. That's such a... Okay. okay. So, so anyhow, wow. so I'm, I, I'm thinking I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I finished my exercise and she's like taking a a break. So when you're doing like heavy lifting, usually you take longer breaks. Uh So I I go up to her and I bullshit about something, something related to weightlifting. Like, oh, you, you know, you a weightlifter. I don't know. Uh Right. Something. It's very, I don't really know what I'm saying most of the time that I'm talking. Uh So I say something. We end up talking for like 45 minutes. Right. And, uh-huh. and, and obviously 20 minutes in, I'm looking in her eyes and mm-hmm. she's telling me about her family or whatever. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, like, how far is this high school challenge thing going to go? Like, maybe, this, <laughs> cause I feel like this is going in the opposite direction as what I thought it was going to go. On. Uh-huh. You're being successful. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, I don't really know what I'm going to do here. Uh-huh. So I decide, uh, you know what I'll do? I'll do the Jason. <laughs> whoa wait what's the jason (laughs) which is what you did which is i say okay bye and get the fuck out Uh now now i do the jason with a little bit more style because i i involve the awkwardness in the conversation okay so for instance something that i'll do if i'm talking to someone new is say i know it's weird that you're talking to me and you don't really know me Uh right so i Uh i try to address it Uh And then keep going on so that everybody's aware, like, okay, are we going to go with this or not? Ah, well, he seems to be aware of it. Okay. Maybe it's worth it, right? Okay. So one of the, I do the Jason in perfect style. Okay. And I say, hey, you know, this was great, but I'm never going to see you again. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
so bye. And she's like, well, I mean, maybe. I mean, uh, you know, you come to the gym regularly. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, but this isn't the time that I normally come, which is true. Uh-huh. You know, normally it's a different time of the day. So, you know, in all probability, this is probably the last time we're ever going to speak to each other. But it was like a good 45 minutes, so it's probably enough. But all right, bye. See you again. Maybe, probably not. And then I leave. Oh, my God. Now, here's the thing. The next time I see this person, either it's going to be the greatest thing in the world that they're seeing me, or they're just, it's, they're, they're not going to care that they're seeing me. Hmm. It's probably going to be really awkward. It could be really awkward. It could be really great. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but to oh. me, that's the new version of the high school challenge. It's like, oh, if things are going well, then don't close. Hmm. Just leave. <laughs> And see if they're well the next time I see them. Now, there's another version of this, which is the, uh, um, there's this person who like, let's say she sits at a booth Mm -hmm. regularly Mm -hmm. um, by the MU. You know, there's always people out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've seen this person a number of times. And one time uh, I saw them and they said, yeah, nobody really talks to me. It's very weird. You know, you know, people, people are the way they are. And every time I saw this person, they were sitting at that same fucking booth. Hmm. And some days they would acknowledge me, other days they wouldn't. Now, this happened a number of times. I'm talking about in the level of like seven different times I saw them at this fucking booth. (laughs) Right? First time we talked for a while. And then after that, it was just like, hi and bye. Mm -hmm. So then the real test happened. It's Mm kind of like what you were saying. Mm -hmm. You're sitting somewhere and you see them. And you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're out in the wild. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what's what's the situation like, you know what I'm saying, when you're not fucking forced to talk to me, to mm-hmm. sell me something? Mm-hmm. So uh, I saw him in the wild, and I made eye contact and waved, and they were like, oh, hi. Mm-hmm. And I said, huh, well, now let's go to the high school test number two. Okay. <laughs> so every time I see him, I say hi, and then I leave. Hmm. But then I thought, now, the difference between this person and the first is that this person I have seen several times and I've gotten a positive reaction. But I've been on my bike. I've been going to class. I've been fucking, you know, en route to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So it would be very interesting to see them and hang out with them mm-hmm. post booth, mm-hmm. post seeing them in the wild. Mm-hmm. I would close if I saw them again. I would get a number. Mm-hmm. I would make a bad offer. Mm-hmm. I would tell some jokes. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that is, um, it made me think about all the times I've seen someone on campus and I just wave at them. And that's our only interaction. Yeah. There's so many people like that. And it's just two, I would say maybe two categories. So the first category I would classify is like people who um, I know because of a mutual friend, but we never engage with each other and we don't even get along on a, like we're not even into the same things. We don't really get along as in we don't even know each other like that. People like that, I, I see them and I wave, but I can tell it's kind of like they're waving because we see each other. And it's like, you have to, yeah. I don't want to be a fake person. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, bro, to be honest, today I don't give a shit. Like, if I'm having a long day and I'm tired and I'm like stressed and I see this person, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up for playing anybody's games. Uh, and <laughs> to be honest, that didn't really get me in any trouble. But recently, that's like, I've been being upfront with people. And it's funny because people that I that word fake it it is it's such a well, it's a subjective word to 
to say or to apply that characteristic upon somebody because uh, it just depends on how you're looking at it. Some people think that I'm being upfront with them because I'm engaging with them. But little to them do they know that, like, really me engaging with them is me being fake. Because yeah. if I was being real, I wouldn't talk to you because right. I don't want to talk to you. Right, yeah. And so, like, people don't <laughs> no, that's get it. that's real. That's yeah. real. <laughs> you don't get it. Like, that. Like I'm engaging with you because, like, I'm half-assing this. And um, I'm almost sometimes um, – I said this, like, in the very first podcast I did with you. I, I said that, like, when I talk to people, I'm kind of playing a game with them, like – I've observed them enough to see the things that they like to talk about and hearing their conversations. And I've observed them enough to pick up on certain characteristics that they have, like certain personality traits. So I'll just play with them. And when I want to be fake with somebody, I'll just talk about things I know they like to talk about. I'll talk about, I'll play with their ego. If I know that they're very egotistical, I'll just gas them up the whole time. Like if I'm talking to them, I'm like, man, that was crazy when you did that. They're like, yeah, yeah. And they'll just talk the whole time. And I'll just sit there and listen. And yeah. to them, it's like we're having a conversation, but I'm, I'm not doing nothing because I'm being fake with you. <laughs> I think that's how you should interact with people because I, I think it works as a filter mm. for like how like when people are speaking to each other, there's so many different things that can be happening. Mm -hmm. And if if you give them the chance, they'll show you what they want to happen. Mm -hmm. And for some people, what they want isn't anything close to what you fucking want. Mm -hmm. There's people who do some pretty dumb shit you know what i'm saying <laughs> myself included mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of like uh for instance somebody wants to be gassed up some people engage with other people so that they can get validated more and more and more mm -hmm. with whatever they already think mm -hmm. but then there's a whole different breed like i would consider closer to my core we get gassed up by having our shit broken down. Mm -hmm. Like that's the only thing that gasses us up. So if you're coming in with the same shit, you have the same thing. You have the same thing. You have the same thing. Like, dude, that's a boring night. That's a horrible night. Mm -hmm. It's better if everybody has a different thing and they all got strong defenses. Mm -hmm. Because then it's really you have to look at all the holes one by one and make sense of things. And guess what? You end up leaving with better ideas than you came with. Mm -hmm. If you did your hardest work and they just tore your shit to pieces, that means when you leave, you're going to have shit that's so clean that you couldn't have even imagined that work on your own, mm -hmm. right? You already did your best work, right? And it ended up being shitty. Mm -hmm. So anything past that, that's beyond your own capacity. And that's something that you get to hold as your own now. Mm -hmm. You get to take that home with you. You don't get that when everybody agrees. So I, I, that's why philosophy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Debate culture, you don't get gassed up by people agreeing, mm -hmm. but some people want that. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you realize, like, oh, I'm dealing with the motherfucking sheep with respect to debate, <laughs> then you realize, oh, there's no reason for me to engage mm -hmm. because they wouldn't even enjoy it mm -hmm. if you engaged. Mm -hmm. You could give them a better idea. They won't take it. I wrote a line about that. <laughs> I'm actually about, I, I wrote a line about that. And I'm going to talk about this particular story I had that literally had, I had that experience. It was like, what did I say? Um, um, something like, um, they're making it crystal clear that, um, it's so crystal, it's so crystal clear that even through Cedar, you could see that they all want us to be mind readers. And, um, it was really just saying like, um, we're all supposed to agree with each other. And to the extent that, uh, we are supposed to read each other's minds as like, I've seen, I've seen this shit happen and it's almost fucking crazy. And but we, it's not that crazy. The, I think the truth of the matter is we all do it, mm -hmm. but some people are interested in knowing that they're doing it and they, they don't want to do it. Mm 
Mm. Whereas other people, they hold on to it. It's mm. like, no, this is a good thing. This is what we want. Other people say, no, that's not what we want. We're, we we want to know that we do it so that we can remove it mm. from our psyche as much as possible. Mm. But other people, yeah, that it's that it's that tribalistic stuff where it's like, it's true because people from my clan say it's true. It's mm. right because people from my clan say it's right. Mm. It is good because people from my clan say it's good. And you start looking at it like... I want the debate. Mm-hmm. I want to, let's talk about what's good. Let's talk about what's right. Let's talk about what's true. Let's not talk, let's say just automatically that's it because the big brother Boobaba <laughs> said it so. Like, man, Boobaba. fuck Boobaba. Uh-huh. Boobaba. <laughs> Nigga owes me $5. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyhow, yeah, I'd say that's a big divide as far as like people doing different things when they're talking and why it's okay and even good mm-hmm. to play games. When you're talking to certain people, because if you, if your goal is completely different, mm-hmm. then you, they're not giving you the option to be yourself in mm-hmm. that conversation. Mm-hmm. You have to either not be in it, not talk to them, mm-hmm. or be in it in a way that's enjoyable for both of you, which is you playing the game and them getting the confirmation that they want. And uh, there was an experience I had where I saw a particular individual who... Um, I will say it like this. This particular individual in the beginning, I felt never really wronged me and treated me with respect. And uh, I appreciated that. But what I was getting from this individual was that uh, they expected something of me that I wasn't willing to provide. And I didn't want to provide that thing that I knew that they wanted or I had an idea that they wanted. And it was almost like they didn't say it directly, but the people around them were upholding this idea that I thought was true. As in they wanted me to be uh to like them in a particular way and more of a like uh they wanted to build like a deeper relationship with me, like on a like on an emotional sexual level. And I wasn't I didn't want to do that. And so uh <clears throat> I That's kept That's a my, good this is good that this is like a consistent problem for you. It uh it's I would say it's a good thing because <laughs> in a sense that like yeah, I got another story. There was this girl who wanted to fuck me, but I didn't want to. <laughs> so this is what happened. But that shit to me is difficult because I don't like to to not be able to pursue something. Yeah. Uh, and and I it's not it's because like the person I'm with right now, I really love them, you know? Yeah. It'd be different like in my in a, in previous relationships when I was with another person or I was really into a particular person and they weren't really giving me any attention. Well, to be honest, when I had another person giving me attention, I would go for them to them loosely, like, oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, but now I'm more conscious. I'm like if I really start to vibe with somebody and I feel that connection building, I like stay distant because yeah, I'm like, yeah. you know, like I actually like you, you know. And because of that, I need to keep you strictly as a friend because uh, currently the way things are, it's not that I don't trust myself to keep my hands off of you. But out of respect of the person I'm with, when they meet you, because they might, they're going to sense that connection. And I want to make sure that there's no, it's not ambiguous, like that they know, you know, yeah. that, I'm, that we don't got nothing going on. And yeah. Sometimes you're, it's just like that. You're a mature guy. Most people, no restraint, mm. especially these days with Tinder. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like an old man who said, <laughs> got the damn with, Tinder now. Damn Tinder. They got the apps out there. Got the damn Tinder. Oh, uh, the story. Okay. So this individual, uh, I saw them the other day and- recently this before this story i'm about to tell you about like a week two weeks ago this individual saw me and said hi to me but it said hi and didn't look at me like they said it as in like 
and said, hi, like whatever type of <laughs> As in like, I was sitting down and they went, they went, look, they weren't looking at me. They went, hi, Jason. But they didn't look at me. And they're around all these people as in they're, they were like acknowledging me, but not really acknowledging me. So I said, oh no, fuck that, bro. When that shit happened, I was like, look, bro, I don't know what the fuck your problem is. I never said anything about you. I never had a problem with you, but obviously you don't like me. And I've been felt that. Yeah. Like that there's a problem between me and you. And if it's because of this silly ass reason, because I'm not trying to pursue a relationship with you, then you can take that shit elsewhere. That's yeah. how I felt. So I said hi back and I didn't look at them. Yeah. I kind of just looked in their direction, but I didn't really look at them. And so the next time I saw them, I, I, I saw them as I was walking to my bike and they're walking towards me. Yeah. And But they were going to the other end of the street. Um, and so I was putting a sandwich on my bike. I was actually occupied with something. Like I wasn't. I was partially pretending to not have seen them, but it's like I saw them out on my peripheral. So technically, I didn't even really look at them. Yeah. Uh, but I was putting up my sandwich, and this person like walked. They were walking past me, and as I was putting up my sandwich, um, I was like, "Okay, when I get up, I'm done putting up my sandwich. If they're still if they're still there, I'll say something to them, so I don't seem like a fake ass person." Yeah. But as I was in the process of putting it up, they walked past me, and I heard them behind me, and I heard them talking to someone else. And they, um, it felt really weird because it almost felt like they were purposely standing behind me, as in so that I can hear them call someone else's name, but they didn't say anything to me. And I was like, oh, I'm doing something. You know what I'm saying? If they're still there, I'll say something because, because I felt that tension. I didn't, re- I didn't really have like the need to like want to talk to them. I didn't want to talk to them, but, uh, just to uphold that, you know, I'm not fake. You know, I was going to, but after that, they walked away. And it's since that encounter, I thought about that. I was like, two ways that could have, that there was two possibilities in that. Either they were purposely standing behind me so that I can hear them and to like create the conclusion that I'm fake and that I didn't want to talk to them. Or they were standing behind me and calling that person's name and purposely, purposefully didn't say something, uh, because of some issue they had with me. And I was allowing it to drive me crazy. I was like, what did they mean by this action? Why, yeah. what, why did they do that? And then I came down to, con- to the conclusion when um, some more individuals like that, that had been doing that, I started to pay more attention to them, how they just have a problem with me. And I started to come down to the conclusion that like, number one, people are fucking complicated. And then number two, people do some silly ass shit. You know? yeah. And number three, uh, there's nothing wrong with me. Um, and once I decided to do that, um, I'm be- becoming used to that tension, that feeling of like, uh, there's a problem between us and getting used to it. Yeah. Because people will create a problem for no fucking reason. Well, the good news is time heals most wounds. So given enough time, people will forget that they even hate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as everything, as long as no new thing pops up. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about uh, being fake because I feel like um, this aligns fairly closely to my sheep concept. Mm. Um, so t- tell me if any 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 version of this is true for you or just all of it, redefine it yourself. But I'm going to throw one out there. Fake is about um, someone is fake. A person is fake if they're portraying themselves in a way that's different than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Now, the truth is, everyone's fake by that definition. (laughs) But where the sheep concept comes in is, um, so you, the chef and the sheep concept are are very closely related to specific tasks. Mm. 
So you can be um, a chef with respect to fashion, right, or dressing yourself, mm-hmm. but then a sheep with respect to mathematics, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you don't do your homework or you don't really comprehend how to get information into your mind, mathematical information into your mind and use it as your own. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is being fake with is really closer to the sheep concept because really you're fake with respect to something. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. could be fake in the sense that you're portraying yourself as uh, as a leader, for mm-hmm. instance, when in reality you have not developed the sufficient amount of leadership skills mm-hmm. to actually be a leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Or uh, you, you portray yourself as someone who... Um, you know, who, who, who is very trustworthy. Mm-hmm. When in reality, uh, you, you consciously try to, um, violate trust mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's more of like, you're not really fake. Mm-hmm. You're not really a sheep. Mm-hmm. You're really fake with respect to something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it could just be some. So when we say, for instance, that person is fake, what we mean is that person, is portraying themselves in a way that does not align with who they actually are in an area that I value. Mm -hmm. Because that's how I speak about the sheep concept. If you say this person's a fucking sheep, really what you mean is they're a sheep with respect to something you care about. That makes me think about, I've been thinking about this, something that you said, um, you you were talking about, um, like, like people caring, like when when um, if you say like someone's lazy because they don't care about this, well, that's because they don't care about that particular thing. But as in, much as you expect them to, yes. Yeah, but in yeah. the thing that you care about, I mean, that they really care about, they're like connoisseurs. Exactly. And I think of a connoisseur is like what you talk about as a chef, right? As in, like you are you love it enough to break down its elements and study its elements from the ground up, or however you want to study it. Yeah. And you're able to understand it on that deep level. You have goals in that area, and you're yeah. making progress toward those goals yes yeah. um and when i think about like my relation to music now and like spoken word that's how i feel uh and i had to come to that conclusion in saying that well when other people i used to listen to other people do stuff and i'm like okay this person is reciting their poem and i listen to their poem and then i read one of mine's and i'm like well mine sounds really different than theirs in the sense that like mine sounds more like a rap versus somebody else's poem sounds more like a poem and I had to like come down to the conclusion. Um, I would say re- fairly recently, or that's as much as, as long back as I can remember, that like um, the stuff that I do is highly charged with like my anger, and it's mm. highly charged with like my a particular type of energy. And I get very when I write, I'm very angry, and so it comes out so angry and fast and like super high charge, and that's what directed me to thinking um, that, and plus other people's suggestions directed me to thinking, okay, what if I turned this into rap and I started to rap? Because um, the better I, the more I started to study uh, spoken word, I got into like slam poetry, and I started to listen to slam poetry. And I started to be around certain like groups that did poetry, and I would listen to how they did it. And I was like, okay, they're doing this really fast. And when they go so fast like that, I almost feel like it's like an anger, but like a passionate anger. And I I, I enjoyed that type of uh, like poetry. Um, and then once I started to develop more of a style, I, st- I started to think like, okay, I can actually turn this into like a a rap. And I can turn that into music. And that's all because of the the natural progression of the of my interest in that art form 
um, and I wanted to tie that into like, well, being fake, I'm very real when it comes to that. I, I feel like I'm more myself. But uh, for example, if somewhere like in certain responsibilities that I've been given, I, I do uphold a fake attitude sometimes because I want this individual to think that I'm interested in it as much as they are. Yeah. Because yeah. I want us to have a, a partnership that works with this responsibility. But it's tiring. And it's like, at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't I don't want to. You know? Yeah. You're yeah. portraying your interest as equal to this other person's. Mm. But in reality, your interest is below the other person's. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that's okay that it's, it should be okay that it's Yeah. And it's, it is okay. It's In fact, all you have to do is change the claim and then you're being real. Mm. So as long as you say, oh, I don't, I'm not as interested in, in this as you are. Mm -hmm. I am this level of, I have this level of time that I can commit rather than this level. Mm -hmm. Then suddenly you're not fake. Mm -hmm. So, but the reason why that, you know, is unpopular mm -hmm. is because people are afraid of looking bad. Mm -hmm. But you, you know, look better. To chefs, you look better when you claim where you really are. You look better, better to sheep when you claim you're the shit and you're not. But chefs know the difference. Like, oh, trust me, that person, they know your real level of commitment better it, than you know it. That's my thing, though. So like, when you tell them the truth, it actually isn't going to change anything in their mind. They might gain respect. Now, they might still be upset. I've had mixed experiences. Yeah. Because I've had people, like, who really care about something. They've, like, told me um, they, like, wanted me to do this particular thing. And I felt almost as if if I told them that I couldn't or I was, like, unwilling to, uh, I felt like, yeah, I would look back. But then I also felt like uh, it would be perceived that I wasn't putting putting in as much work as I'm capable of. And I was like, dang, I'll do this for the sense that I can keep being seen as a person who's puts in a lot of work. Yeah. And it was like a tarn it almost felt like a tarnish to my ego as like a hardworking person. Because when I, th when I look back on my entire week, I consistently tell myself, Jason, you're lazy. You didn't even work hard. And then I look back to certain days of the week. And I was like, bro, I was on campus for 12 hours. You get what I'm saying? Like, how do you not work hard? You get what I'm yeah, saying? that's a long time. I have to remember, like, uh, I have to remember that there are times in the week where I do that consistently, you know, for like three or four days straight. I'm on campus 10, 12 hours. And, and then I come home every day and I'm fucking tired and I'm hungry. And I'm like, I think about that. And I'm all worn out and shit. But then here I am stuck in my head thinking someone thinks I don't work hard enough. And I push myself into... Um, like neglecting my responsibilities as in like to feed my fucking self. Like, yeah. or even like, I'm gonna be upfront and real. There are times, there are weeks where I forgot to fucking shower where it was like four days. And I was like, I haven't cleaned myself in four days because every time I get home, I'm too tired. I go to sleep and yeah. then I wake up and I have to go to school mm -hmm. and I haven't cleaned my fucking self. And I had to like take that seriously because if I'm not taking care of myself, then I'm just gonna start creating new outcomes that I don't want as in, if I have a fear of, of stinking in public, but I'm not giving myself enough time to shower, then I'm going to stink, you know? Right, right. If I don't want, if I don't like being hungry, but I don't give myself enough time to eat, I'm going to be hungry. And it's like um, a, a, an individual in my life right now has been helping me with that. It's like if I'm so afraid of being seen as fake to people or not authentic to people that I neglect my own responsibilities because of this like stigma, this stigma I think I'm going to have. If I don't keep working hard, then I'm going to end up neglecting, you know, myself and my own wants and needs. And that in the end is not going to help me. Like, 
I want this super grand outcome, but in the process of trying to get that, I like end up suffering. Like, what kind of sense does that make? I had to like really think about that and really take that seriously because um, it was taking a toll on me, and I was allowing it to take a toll on me. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. Well, I mean, another way of uh, framing it too, um, it's it's fairly similar to the person asking you to take on more hours and then uh but you don't really want to take on the hours and you realize well if you say i don't want to take them on they might get mad so i'll do it mm-hmm. you, and the piece that's left out is but if you say you're not going to take them on and they get mad there's a benefit too that you're not counting which is you have more free time to dedicate to the stuff you really do want and sure. the, and the peace of mind and the self-care and all of the benefits that come with that you're discounting in the original analysis, it's only work here or don't work here. Mm-hmm. But there's an outside of that, which is don't work here and work there mm. and get way more benefits than working here. Yeah. Um, similar to that, I would say you can you can look at the worrying about being perceived as fake mm-hmm. from that perspective, too, where you could say right now what you're considering is the people around you perceiving you as fake. Mm. But what you're discounting is the people that you're going to meet in the future through those other ventures. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do that now, they will they consider you fake now for not pursuing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So no matter what you do, people are going to think you're fake because mm-hmm. people have different values. Mm-hmm. And all it really is saying is, oh, that person's a sheep. Really what it means is that person is a sheep with respect to my values. Yes. So what you need to do is worry about the people who have the same values, whether or not you're fake to them. That's the only metric. Everything else is just a distraction because if you think, well, these people are around and they think I'm fake, you're mm-hmm. discounting the fact that everyone who doesn't have your values will mm-hmm. always think you're fake. That is so that you actually helped me um a lot with a particular idea that I had in my head. because uh, that particular thing that a person who I see as a sheep is a sheep in relation to my value, my value system. Um, because um there's like a particular group of people that it's not even just on this campus in general that whenever I notice certain personality traits in that person, I classify them as like that particular group of people and I stay away from them at all costs. But secretly, like deep down inside, there's a part of me that wants to have what they have. Mm. There's a part of me that wants to have that type of like... Um, well, you have ripped jeans on. I remember you were saying something about <laughs> you didn't like... You didn't want to be one of those guys who wore ripped jeans. Yeah. So you're growing a little bit and saying, "Hey, yeah. maybe we're not different." Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's more like um, me realizing that the things that I like about people, I let those things be outweighed by the things I don't like about them. So if I see, for example, in that example, if I saw a person who a group of people that typically wear ripped jeans, and I've made a, a claim about them, as in they're irresponsible. That I'm not gonna want to wear ripped jeans because then it looks like I'm mimicking the people I'm being irresponsible. That I say right. irresponsible, you know. Right. And then that makes me look like I want to be like them. So it's like that kind of mentality. And so I started to really critically think about this. The group of people that I typically don't like are typically people who I see as being too stuck in their ego. You know. Yeah. Just being very egotistical. I'm and 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 that is spread out in a lot of different ways. It could be like. People who only worry about popularity. It could be people who just like to talk about themselves. People who 
uh, say whatever they want and make people feel bad and then don't feel like they should say sorry you know, or should yeah. be, you know, you know, sit like that. So I'm like, um, I don't want to be around those people. But I started to make claims about that, that those type of people. And I started to say like, well, all people like this are like unintelligent. I'll make a claim like that. And I believe it. And I'm like, yeah, you're unintelligent. You're not focused on like real life things. But then I meet people who are part of these type of groups and I'm like, oh, you're actually pretty intelligent, you know? <laughs> exactly, and I'm like, yeah. because you're a person exactly. who's capable of doing things for, for, uh, apart from what the group wants, you know, <laughs> what the typical person in the group does. And I have to think about like the things that I would say and the, the, the things that I would direct at people were coming from a place of like my value system and um, I had to take that back. But not I have to. It's not that I stop saying those things. It's that I say them more with intention. So now, if I say someone's too egotistical, I'm not referring to just that person. I'm not referring to just a group of people who I think are egotistical. I'm referring to in general being egotistical when in whatever way that like shows itself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and like whether that means if you're just being pretentious right now, if you have a pretentious personality, I'm like in that sense, I see you playing with your ego, and I don't like that particular thing. Versus if I'm just being calm and uh, let's say I'm just being me and then I want to talk about all these girls that I didn't have sex with. That's me painting, feeding my ego in a particular way. Well, yeah. I don't like that either, you know? But that doesn't mean that uh, that doesn't mean that I should just continue to target one group of people because that's something that all people have equally in different yeah. areas. And I had to come to that conclusion because I realized that I was being very biased, um, extremely biased in some ways. To certain people. Well, one of the interesting things um, to me is that I don't think we have much choice in our values. Mm. I think we kind of just value whatever the people around us value. And the best that we can do is at some point question those things. But of course, in most value systems, <laughs> the number one value is don't question the values. Mm. So then you're stuck. <laughs> Whatever you get, that's what you get. Mm. Unless you're willing to test the waters and go out into the deep end on your own and figure out, hey, okay, some of these things are actually full of shit. You know what I mean? But like people are the way they are largely because of things forces outside of their control. Mm. So it's it's not even really fair to say that person is this way so they're a bad this or they're a good this really they just are the way that they are and there are consequences you know in the universe that come from the way that they are mm-hmm. but i don't think it's a matter of their character at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I i think that in like talking about environment that's how i came to the conclusion that i am the way that i am because um and you're the way that you are because of your yeah. environment there's, I, I think yeah. there's almost like the amount of choice – so one analogy that I give is let's say you're on a, a highway with several lanes mm-hmm. and the highway turns right. Mm-hmm. You can switch lanes, but you're still turning right. True. So you have some True. control over where you are, but yeah. you don't have – in the grand scheme of things, I don't think we have that much control over our personalities. True. <laughs> I think we just – the way we interact, that – multiplied over our lives you know whatever neurons fire at a certain time that's that's how we are that makes it hard for me um sometimes because sometimes i'm so afraid of certain people's reactions that i ignore the fact that my personality came up in a particular environment oh yeah i like i i 
I place other people's values, and this is just a reoccurring theme in my life. Like, I take other people's values, I'm like, cool, I'm going to replace your shit with mine. As I'm talking <laughs> to you, when I'm talking to you, I'm going to take all your values and replace them with mine, you know, so that we can have an agreeable and comfortable experience. But now I'm starting to look at it as like, all right, um, I like to argue. And um, I've been, I've always liked to argue, even as a little kid. I remember always arguing with my parents about some shit, but they would shut you up because that's your parents. Right. But, but arguing, I love to argue because I like to, um, to be honest, if I'm going to be 100% upfront, I like to know. It's, it's, I like to learn, but knowledge for me is a, I have a very like, it's a very complicated relationship with learning for me because learning, I like the, sometimes I don't like the grind. Sometimes, Ah, no, no, no. I love the grind. That's false. That's a false statement. I love the grind. Sometimes, though, I don't like not knowing. And we talked about this before because the process of learning, I know, is patient. And when I really want to learn something, I take the time to learn it. But once I learned enough, I want to be able to say that I'm an expert. And so I want to know all facets of it without putting in the work to actually study it. Mm. And so there was something like music. Uh, I like to say that, okay, for this particular artist, like, and albeit like this particular artist's particular album, I know their style. But then I'll go listen to another album and I'm like, fuck, it's a whole nother album that I need to study. It's a whole nother style that I need. It's, I mean, it's the same artist, but the album might be constructed differently. The little hints and cues that I was able to pick up in the other album, well, those don't exist in this album. It's a whole new, you know, bunch of listing cues. And so I was like, fuck, like, how do I um, get used to the process of starting over from ground one and oh, working my okay. way up? You know, yeah, yeah. it's kind of, every time you pick up a new thing, you're literally at the bottom of the learning curve. Right. And I don't like that all the time. Okay. I like it in certain instances. Mm-hmm. Like I have a problem with finishing things as in finishing a book or finishing an album, finishing an artist's like, you know, career, because uh, once I get to a certain point, I get tired of starting over. And I'm like, damn it. I just want to <laughs> know it all already, you know? Oh, and, uh, I see. I'm in the process of lowering. I don't know if that's hubris or my ego. I don't know what it is because I don't know really know the term for it. But I'm in the process of lowering that uh, want to know everything, that know-it-allness. And I'm building up this, like, this patience and this, like, I don't, I don't know, this, like, humility of being able to, like, Say something and be wrong and being able to like when someone says, do you know th- of this? Do you know of this artist or have you heard of this like term? Uh, usually I'll always go, yeah, 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 I've heard of that, even though I don't know it because I don't want to not know. Oh, I'm trying you. to get used to the idea of being like someone telling me, do you know what this is? And me going, no, and allowing it to teach me because mm. that in the moment, it does hurt my ego. It mm. makes me feel less of myself. And why you know i shouldn't yeah well i i think um that's one of the big ones that i feel is it's very closely connected to that whole thing of we don't really choose our values Mm. so one of the things that happened with me is i grew up in a household where my uh i grew up with my aunt and my uncle Mm -hmm. and my uncle he uh he messed around with computers i don't know all the details he spent some time at ucla etc so long story short he was science literate Mm. And one of the big things that happens in, in, in science, especially for kids, um, is that you're, you're, when you're in a science literate environment, 
and this might be true for philosophy even more, mm-hmm. um, you get used to the thing that you're kind of dealing with now at a very early age, mm-hmm. which is you build this relationship to knowledge where it's culturally okay and even good to not know. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't think that's true in a lot of cultures. Mm-hmm. I think in most cases, not knowing is school. the death of you. Think of business, for instance, school, yeah. yeah. Where it's like, oh, you don't know? You're a fucking idiot. That's how <laughs> yeah. they respond to you. It's a horrible, horrible thing to not know. Mm-hmm. But in uh, the science culture, it's one of the few where not knowing is perfectly fine. It's the, it's actually the beginning of the, the entire process is that mm-hmm. you have to get to a point where you actually don't, you can't look up the answers anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? To, I think about, you know... Um I always shit on sociology because that's what I have <laughs> to too. do. But, you know, like I think about in my sociology classes, um, people, and this shit, this can go for a lot of classes, probably all of them, actually all of them. When the professor asks a question, well, why doesn't, um, I think, why doesn't everyone raise their hand? There's a, so many reasons why everyone doesn't raise their hand. It could be as small as like they having a bad day. Or it could be in another case, they're maybe they're too shy. Maybe they, and then, but there's also the fact that they probably don't know the answer. And so if you don't know the answer, realistically, it's like, well, I'm not going to raise my hand unless I'm 100% sure. Right. And, Even if they do know the answer, uh-huh. they probably aren't because they probably have a high threshold for what counts as good enough mm-hmm. to actually potentially embarrass yourself for. Mm-hmm. Or the fact that like professors, sometimes when you think you know the answer, because sometimes, I'll tell the professor the way the answer, the way a professor literally told me, as in a prior class, we talked about like let's say the topic like <laughs> cultural capital ha- cultural habitus. That's habitus. something I that came what up. What is that? So basically it's like uh, cultural habitus. It's, it's like how it sounds made up, it sounds fake. It, no, it's some shit like basically what it is is a really complex way of saying like these are like the behaviors that I've learned to like value. So Okay. The way I speak to you, the way that like, so if I came up to you and I went like this, what's up, JP? How you doing? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you chilling, bro? For sure. Well, yeah. I'm going to go hit the store uh, uh, in a couple of minutes and I'm going to be at the house and I'm going I'm to roll me up one and, uh, and, and chill, you know, yeah. smoke me a doobie. You know, yeah. you, you know what I talk, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You can break down my whole day. Now, imagine if I went to my supervisor system, shit like that. She'd be like, huh? We have different cultural habitudes. Mm. And the cultural habitudes that we learn in school is very Eurocentric. It's like- Speak like this, talk like this, dress like this, you know, culture habitudes. Okay. And um, that is something I learned my second year, you know, and so in, in a class I had, like some culture class. And I learned that and I was like, okay. So this year in a class I'm taking uh, this quarter, I the professor asked, what is cultural habitudes? And I answered the same way. I tried to my best ability to answer the same way that this professor added, asked, I mean, told it to me, this old professor. But she was like, yeah, yeah, but not quite. And then she kept, you know, picking on different people to see that what the answers were. And so she had like her own answer. And what she did was took our answer and changed up the wording a little bit. So it was kind of like we had the right answer. We just didn't all say the complete answer the way that she wanted to hear. And so it makes you feel almost as if like, am I wrong or am I just not right enough? See, this is one of those things. I have no respect for that. Mm. None. Absolutely none. Worrying about the exact wording Mm. is not a demonstration of understanding. Mm. In fact, the best, one of the best ways to demonstrate understanding is putting things in your own words. Mm -hmm. 
that's so sad for me to hear that this and, this blasphemy is going on. And the it's the fact that like cultural habitus, <laughs> we were engaging in cultural habitus. Or yeah, we're, maybe that was her an point. example. If, if of that it. was her, if that was her point, then ugh. and that wasn't her point. That's what uh, I discovered. Because look, by you telling me that that's not the way that it's, it means to you. Well, that's because we it's have in a the wrong. Yeah, we have a different habitus. cultural habitus. We're explaining it, and you're not. And it, that's the crazy thing about sociology classes. The shit we study is the shit that's going on right now, and we don't acknowledge it. It's like I took a stigma class <laughs> about how if you're a person who experiences stigma, I'm in this class about stigma, and we're talking about if you're a person who experiences stigma, then you're less likely to want to engage with the people who stigmatize you. Okay, right. So I'm sitting in class, and I'm like, well, I'm a person who experiences stigma. I wonder why it is that like, and I'm 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 actually very uptight with my my uh you know classmates who aren't of my race because at first because I'm holding my ground up I'm like I'm putting up a guard as in like are you gonna judge me when I discovered that they don't want to judge me then I'm like oh cool we cool we could be friends you know what yeah. I mean that's how I operate so I always have my guard up when I first meet a person like that uh but I was thinking about how in that class like the way I was behaving was the way that we were studying. But that's not taken into account. So if someone had a problem with the way I behaved towards them, or in the professor's case, whenever I used to ask a question, how he would awkwardly answer me, or he would how he would awkwardly engage with me in front of the class, as in like, I would ask him a question, particularly about someone of our demographic. Like, so if a person of my demographic did this, this, and that, what would you, how would you think the response would be? His awkward ass answers to those questions, as in his like, um, because I like to pay attention to people's uncomfortable body language. Yeah. I like to pay attention it's, to the that. The body language never lies. In yes. my experience, never lies. I like to pay attention <laughs> to that because I like to see at the, what point does someone get uncomfortable and what do they do? So when I observe people, part of the things that I like to build up in their, in my repertoire of them is, what makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. And once I find that, I'm like, okay, how do they react to it? And for some people, for example, if some people get uncomfortable, they start laughing or they, yeah. they make jokes and they're like, oh, okay, yeah. this is fun. I'm going to make this funny. And I do that too sometimes. When someone does something to me that kind of like, like if somebody says something vulgar to me and I hurt my feelings, I'll probably laugh. I'll probably start laughing and try to get around it. And, and so if it was a real problem for me then, then I get serious. But like, um, or for example, if I feel uncomfortable in a certain situation or if I'm ang- anxious, maybe I'll shake my leg or maybe I'll start picking at my hand. Maybe I'll start like, maybe I'll start doing like one of these or I'll, I'll sit back and I'll I'll, 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 I'll start getting hot. I'll start sweating. You know, there's a lot of things that I do that I know about my own body, but other people's bodies, well, I don't know that. So I want to learn. And what other way to learn unless, you know, by watching them and watch, they, they're showing me. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want to ask somebody what makes them uncomfortable because then they probably wouldn't tell the truth. So watching it, you get to see it. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Man, I've been thinking a lot about uh, something related to that, which is running experiments in real life. Mm-hmm. So uh, trying to explain to someone who has never done that. Now, you've done that just in mm-hmm. conversations, mm-hmm. right? You sat with someone, realized, oh, they just want me to gas them up. Mm-hmm. And you just do that and see their response. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of people think, well, why would you ever do something like that? Why would you ever run an experiment in your own life? What's the benefit? What, what are you, just a, a mad scientist or something? And I thought, well, what's the real reason? And I came up with an explanation, so I'll run it by you. Mm-hmm. It deals with primary sources. Mm. So if you, if, you, if you say, hey, tell me 
uh, like you said, or here's a great one. Act normal. If you tell someone to act normal, now you just guaranteed that they're not going to act normal, mm -hmm. right? Because now they have to think about what normal is. They got to consider why you're asking them to act normal. Mm -hmm. The best thing to do is just, if you want to see how they act when they're acting normal, don't say act normal. You just hang out. Mm -hmm. And that <laughs> is them acting that normal. That is them acting normal. Now, by saying act normal, in a sense, you're you're damaging the data. Mm -hmm. Because what you're getting is mm -hmm. their idea of normal. Mm -hmm. But if you just observe them, now you're getting primary information. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think some people use this in psychological experiments. But another thing you can do is you can say you're focusing on one thing and really focus on another thing. So you could, mm -hmm. for body language is amazing for mm -hmm. this one. You could say, hey, you know, I want to see... Um, I want to see you do two jumping jacks. I want to see how you do them, right? Mm -hmm. Now, by the time I'm saying I want to see you do two jumping jacks, I'm already reading your body language. Mm -hmm. So by the time you do the two jumping jacks, which you're focused on, mm -hmm. you've already gave me all of the information about your comfort level around me, mm -hmm. which is what I really wanted to know. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if you're directly observing things with your own uh, – basically, if you control the experimental setup – then the quality of your information is a lot higher than if you ask people for things where they have a chance to interfere with your data. Mm -hmm. And like you were doing in your class, you know, saying, hey, how would a person of my demographic, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. By the time you're asking, they're already integrating, uh, interacting with someone from your demographic, you. Mm -hmm. So you already basically are getting the answer before mm -hmm. the question even is finished. Yes. And whatever answer they give you can compare that answer to what they actually did in real life. Yes. And then you know if they're fake. Yes. And that's a part <laughs> and of the experiment. that's a value of the experiment. Yes. You, know, you can't replicate that. Yes. There's nothing you can do that's better than actually seeing people do things, asking them about it. Mm -hmm. Hey, can you please, you know, this, this, and that. It's like, dude, you already fucked up your own experiment. Mm -hmm. It's better to just look. Use your own eyes. And – um I like that because it helps me. Um, so, for example, in the future, if I get closer to this person and they do, um, they perform this particular behavior and I've observed them enough to see when it is that they perform that behavior and the reactions of other people to that behavior, then I can determine whether or not like their reaction to me was uh, something I did or is it just a part of their personality to behave in that way? Right. Because that's how they like make sense of the world. So if someone, uh, for example, like um, a person in my life, like growing up, whenever I would make them, like whenever they got upset, they would make everyone else's experience shitty. So they would mm. make sure that everyone else was upset if they were upset. And it, I didn't necessarily make them upset. You know, they were just upset about something. So they treated me, you know, with a shitty attitude. And so when I meet people in life like that, you know, I start to like get to know them more and they start to, when, when I see them upset in this particular example and they start making other people feel shitty, I'm like, ah, oh, you're like this one individual in my life. And I remember how I used to feel. And sometimes I get those feelings back, like that feeling of like, okay, I don't want to be around you no more because people like that, I put in my category of people who I don't, traits I don't like in people. That's just in one of those categories. And so- when I I'm around people like that, I start to develop like a like a toolkit, like a and this is kind of playing off of cultural habitudes too. It's like the toolkit sociologically is kind of like the things that you do to survive within that to uphold that habitude. So mm. toolkit and a Eurocentric habitudes would be like code switching. Yeah, is a synonym for toolkit. It's like 
well, I need to change up my dress, my speech, and my hair, my language, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, in relation to people who make other people feel shitty, uh, my toolkit is to remain quiet and observe and to let them feel in control of the situation. Because part of the reason they're making people feel shitty, in my opinion, is because they want to draw attention to their issue. And if people aren't paying attention to their issue, they need other people. They need people's like pity. Like it's the search for pity. It's the search for validation. And like I'm, I'm angry and I'm tired. So all y'all need to feel all of this shit because this is how I process it. And when I understand that, I don't get mad at the individual anymore because I know that you're doing this because you feel a lack of something from the world or mm. you feel too much weight of the world on you. Yeah. So you're expelling it or searching for something to make yourself feel better. So in a, so I remain quiet and um, I allow them to operate, to study the world. I allow them to, for example, um, particular individuals that do this sometimes when they're having a bad day, when I say something, just, you know, I'm being serious, them, they might poke fun at something I said or they might be very like loud and obnoxious about something that I said, especially if they disagree. And I know that they're acting like that because there's something deeper going on inside of them. There's a problem that either they have with me potentially or with the world. And so because of that, that's how that's why they're behaving that in that way. And so I can sit here and be mad at them for treating me like that. Or I can think of it as like this, like, nah, that's how you're feeling right now. And once you're not like that, you won't be like that no more. But now if it consistently happens where you feel like you can treat only mean like that, or you can consistently treat people like that, well, then that's why I say address it, because now that part of your personality is toxic to the world. But if it's something that occasionally happens when you get into a certain state of mind, that happens with all of us. Like, when we're assholes to people, yeah. everyone's an asshole at some point, because you get driven to the point where you're like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to be how I want to be, and I'm going to be mean, you know? Yeah. We're all like that. So to get mad every time someone's an asshole to me is to me to... I'm going to be mad all the damn time. And I'm going to always have my feelings hurt. So yeah. I just have to, yeah, yeah. Something I've been thinking about. Yeah. I think everyone is bad and everyone's good. Mm-hmm. There are no good and bad people. True. <laughs> We're all good and bad. All right. On that note, let's wrap things up with right. the most important question the in the universe. The most important question in the universe. Wheel or deal? Deal. That's right. All right. Thanks for your time, man. I'm going to play some of my music. Not on here, though.